like to finish this series. Today is the last sermon on this series of Exodus, and we've um, it's the sixth time, sixth sermon on Exodus, and we've 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 done like one third of the book of Exodus. Today is like the third, one third of of its chapter. So. Um, it's, it's such a rich book. There's so much to explore, so much to learn from it. And I want to encourage you uh, then at home to take the rest of the book um, and read it um, at, at your pace. And we, we, we took this book because um, we felt it's, um, it's a great way to introduce this time of, of Passover that we as a Church of Christ um, celebrate. And so in these last two sermons, Reuben uh, has preached about the plagues that have happened uh, in, the, in, in, in Egypt. And these plagues that happen are means of God's judgment uh, to Pharaoh and his rulers and his people because they did not want to let the people of Israel uh, to go and free. And so all that destruction, all that death um, are consequences of what sin can bring into rulers, into countries, into people. And last week, Reuben shared about the 10th uh, and the most extreme plague of all, um, um, the killing of all the first, uh, firstborn sons. It was kind of a counter-response uh, by God to what Pharaoh had done a few years ago when he decided in his own authority to kill the firstborn sons of all the Israelites. So we get to also know a little bit about God um, we know of God as an agent of creation, as an agent of beauty, but we also uh, know God as someone capable of performing acts of decreation through his judgments. And Reuben put it very well. God is love and he's serious about his love, but God is also serious about his judgment. And I think when we think through um, that I think you can only perfectly love if you can only perfectly judge as well. Um, and you can only judge perfectly if you also have perfect love. Those two things, they walk together. They walk uh, hand, um, hand by hand, side by side. And this is who God is. And I'm, I'm quoting Ruben again uh, in the newsletter it was sent this week. Because he said and explained... God, it doesn't mean that God, because he um, judges and he performs this, he performs this act of decreation, but it doesn't mean that God enjoys to see sinners die. Love is his essence and he does everything he can to save people, to see them stop sinning and to see them live. That's why God instituted the Passover. And that's why the Passover was, uh, is something that we keep on celebrating. The Passover was this climatic moment where those who survived there in Egypt were those who obeyed, those who uh, killed that lamb and with that blood they painted the door frame. And when that angel of death came, he passed over the houses of those who had obeyed and no firstborn son was touched. But those who didn't care about it, those who were skeptic or those who challenged God in this way, they faced death in that day. But hopefully what you took home from last week 
is actually what the Passover, is the meaning of that the Passover brings. And 2,000 years, um, no, a few years after that, that, uh, that episode in, in uh, Exodus, and now 2,000 years after Jesus coming to earth, we, we, we started to understand that that first original Passover was a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do. He was called um, symbolically, here is the Lamb of God. He's that Lamb. He's that person who comes and will sacrifice. And His blood as, as a representation, a visual representation of His sacrifice will save people. And He came and He rose again for our redemption. Through Jesus, God brought us back from slavery and sin. And we no longer have to be slaves. And we can now be adopted into the family of God. This family we've just sang as well this morning. Let me put the timer. I just forgot to put the timer. There you go. So we're starting from this beginning now, okay? <laughs> Thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> okay, so back to the Exodus story. After the Passover, after that episode, now we have a group of about 2 million people free from the hands of Pharaoh, and they are starting their walk into the promised land, led by Moses. But when we turn to chapter 13 and 14, we will understand that that Passover episode, it's still not the final knockout for Pharaoh and his rulers. And that the Hebrews, the Israelites, they would still have to undergo a major test ahead of them before they could finally make their first steps into freedom. So bear with me as we open up in Exodus chapter 14. And let's read together. We'll put it here on the screen. So I'm reading for, uh, from verse 5. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with feasts raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's armies. All his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near, and I have no idea how to say these words, but I'll try, Fi Hahirot, across from Baal Zephron. Sorry for those who actually know how to say it, how to spell it correctly. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Did we tell you this would have happened while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. 
Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you'll see today will never see. You will never see. They will never be seen again. Sorry. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is, is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then... The angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the sea bend into dry land. Verse 22. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, as the water stood like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the body of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What has just happened here, right? <laughs> what has just happened here in this one chapter of the book of Exodus? Pharaoh's pride led him to lose his own son in that tenth plague because he did not obey what God had commanded them to do through Moses. And soon after the Israelites departed, Pharaoh gathers again his army and he chases them they, they said, how come we let these Israelite slaves get away free? And they chased them into a geographical corner 
for a final showdown. Once again, Pharaoh's mind is not set to let those Israelites live. So the text tells us once again that God hardens his heart. And God hardened the heart of Pharaoh as a way of accelerating a process that was so obvious in his mind and in his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart to bring justice to an evil ruler. And I always struggle a bit with, with that concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And, and Reuben also spoke a bit about it the other time. And, and only now I started to understand a little bit more. And it made things not simple, but, but clear. Pharaoh's mind was not set to let them free. And when we see evil rulers around this world, when we hear of rulers in history like Hitler or, or, or others, when we in the present uh, times hear of rulers or hear of people who do wrong to others, we have a sense of judgment that something must be done to them. It's so unfair that they are still alive or they are still that power or they still have authority. And so God, in his authority, he hardened his heart to accelerate a process that has started. And that was the way to, for God to judge Pharaoh for what he was doing. And now we see what was the consequences of all that pride, what led Pharaoh into being. So a major slaughter is expected now to happen to the Israelites. They are now pinned between uh, army of Pharaoh with all his chariots and charioteers and see how the text mentions that so many times Pharaoh tanks coming um, to against the Israelites and on the other side they have a sea deadly waters on the other side what can they do that feels unavoidable the Israelites were trapped I I can sympathize with them I can sympathize with their fear as they thought that they would die right there on that day. There was an army coming in their way and there was a known, an unknown sea in the other side. I can sympathize with that fear. But then I look at what they say and in the other hand I hear their complain has a clear sign, has a clear sign that they did not fully trust God yet. They said, it's better to be a slave in Egypt. What? <laughs> after all that God had done for them, after, uh, how, how, after everything that God has done for them, chased them, to, to bring them into freedom after they had seen all the miracles, signs and wonders, all the ten plagues, the, the Passover episode, after all that God had done to save them, would God now leave them to death? They said something like, weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? We told you this would happen. Leave us alone. We better be slaves in Egypt. Couldn't they have thought that perhaps, just perhaps, God would have another plan to save them? Was there not a pillar of cloud and fire in front of them 
to remind them of God's presence in that day. How could they doubt in such a way? This episode tells us about our own hearts. How easy, how easy is also for us to let our hearts fear and weaken when, challenged, when we face challenge. How easy it is when we completely forget what God has done in the past in our lives and when we completely forget His daily presence um, in us. So in the same way that the hearts of the Israelites were still enslaved to fear, many times we also forget that we are children of God and our hearts are still enslaved to other things. Even when we go through trouble times, the promise that we have is that the Father is holding us, is holding His children in His arms. The promise that God will either protect and save us from troubles or He will keep us in His arms and He will help us overcome it. May we not be so blind to God's presence and so worried with our troubles that we become also blind to a pillar of fire and clouds in front of us. May we not become, may we don't, May we not become so blind to God's presence in our lives as the Israelites were. So then, what does God tell Moses to do and to tell his fellow Israelites? I think it's actually one of the most amazing, incomprehensible, faith-led requests. Just stand still. Just stand still and watch what God will do. Verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stand still. In human rationale, just standing still was probably the worst option they had, right? Why not trying to swim? Maybe a few of them would survive, the better swimmers, the cattle was gone, but maybe some of them would survive. Or maybe why not try and go back to Pharaoh and maybe beg for forgiveness. But by not moving, that was exactly how God wanted to test their faithfulness. Stand still and trust once again. And I think this is also powerful teaching into our hearts as well. To learn how to trust in God. When we, the redeemed, or we who call God our Father, when we who know that God will fight for us, even when circumstances do not look like it, to stand still and trust in God. God calls us to be active agents in pursuing intimacy with Him in order for us to get to know Him better and better, so that in every situation, in every trouble, in every challenge, our first and foremost action will be stop, pray, trust, and move when God says so. May we be so intimate to God. May we be so close to Him that we learn how to stop, trust, pray, and hear His voice and move. 
They didn't have any other option, I guess. They did stop and stand still and look at what happened next. So the Lord told Moses to raise his hand uh, over the sea and the waters were open in front of their eyes. Have you noticed, I've never noticed until I was actually studying this passage more in depth, but have you never ever noticed how long does this episode actually lasted? It started during the day. We don't know, morning, uh, afternoon, we don't know. But the wind, God breath, his, uh, send his spirit, and the wind blew all night until the seabed was finally dry for them to walk. So they did have to learn how to wait in the middle of that very tension moment. They had an army right behind them. There was that cloud of fire protecting them. But we don't know how long it took. But it says, the word says, it took all night for the sea to open. And they had to wait until they were able to move. And I think that's, that tells us also something uh, into our hearts. To know how to wait and trust. This is probably one of the most epic stories in the whole Bible. And one can only imagine, and many movies have, 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 have tried to do so, to imagine the proportions of what took place that night. The Israelites finally were able to walk through. And only in the morning, only when the last Israelite walked um, and was out of that sea then the waters closed again and in the middle of that what was happening there God was dealing with the, 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 the army so the army was not able to move forward as fast but when the waters closed they swept away all the um, Egyptians and not one single one of them survived the salvation of the entire Israelites came through they were now fully free from their oppressors and this freedom came with a high responsibility to truly trust in God's amazing sovereignty during that night had they disobeyed the call to stand still and wait had they rushed somewhere else had they tried to make their own plans and figure out their own solutions they would not have experienced the full redemption and many times, and how many times we do not stop, we do not pray, we do not trust, and we try to figure out a solution here and there. And Jodeh can, can tell how much I, myself, whatever happens, I also am the one, I just want to try to find a solution here and now. But how many times we lose the full redemption because we try something in our own way. We do not wait to hear God and either we mess up or things turn into a, um, a very, yeah, messed events. But they had to wait and they experienced full redemption. The Israelites that night, they had to literally walk through death. They walk in that path that was dry and there was deadly waters um, that was surrounding them but they had to walk through that in order to come out to the other side as free people on that night the Israelites were baptized into a new life the crossing of the Red, the Red Sea episode is also a foreshadow 
of the baptism of waters we take as we follow Jesus. And for me, it was just beautiful to, to think about this passage, and mainly because of what we've just heard of Marianne and Babish. They're, they're witnessing how God worked uh, in their hearts. And this, this week, we, we, we witnessed their tangible, visual, genuine, and loud declaration that they have made a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They desire to put to death their old self and to become new creatures for God. And so going to those, those waters in the beach was, was a visual of that decision of putting their old self to death and come and be raised as new creatures because they decided to put their trust in Jesus Christ. The God that has the mighty power to open the waters... He has the power to change your heart as well. The God who sent his breath during that night can also breathe into your heart new life. And that's why we will not stop proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the salvation of Jesus Christ, even if people call us a cult or crazy or whatever. We will open the words and be faithful to the words and we will keep proclaiming that God has the power to baptize anyone into a new life. And we've just witnessed two souls that in a span of six, seven months were transformed by God in such a way. It, um, it, 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 uh, it, it makes my heart on fire. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I, God, I will give you, I can give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. In other words, a heart that is stubborn and I can give you a heart of flesh. A heart that is responsive to the call of God. This is God's call to each one of you here. And I don't know to all the people I am speaking today. And I'm sure there are people because I hear amen. There are people that agree with this. Others that probably are still searching what is all this about. But this is what the word of God says. This is what you've just witnessed here this morning. God can change hearts of stone. Changing they can change those hearts to hearts of flesh. So we've seen that the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea, it tells us about our lives, this process of redemption and salvation. Jesus, the Lamb of God who saved us, who saved us through His sacrifice, and now we also baptized into a new life. No longer being slaves or sin, no longer being slaves or death, but new people that now can proclaim his freedom in him forever. Mariana gave her testimony on the beach, and she also mentioned here, Angeline mentioned the conversation they had, and she was also very honest, and rightly so. She said, I'm still a bit afraid because I don't know what type of Christian am I going to be. I don't know if I'm going to do everything right after today. Today I look so holy, so, so I, I know, so sharp, right? But I don't know what's going to be my future. And that's the reality for each one of us. And Angeline just said, I'm a messy person. And I would raise my hand as well. I'm also a messy person who, who still did not get everything right. 
who's still in this, is, is in this walk of getting to know God better and growing and hopefully become more mature. And we'll see briefly that what the, what, what the Israelites experience after this amazing episode of the crossing of the Red Sea is also an illustration of what, hap of what happens in our life. Because after this moment, what followed to those Israelites was also not a stroll on the beach. But it was, um, it was rather 40 years of challenging tests in the wilderness and in the desert. So I'll be brief. And again, take time to then read at home and, and meditate at home. But the Israelites were out of Egypt. But Egypt was still not out of those Israelites. They were fully free from their oppressors. But the story continues. And the story shows that they were still not free from themselves as well. And they had a huge learning journey process ahead of them. Chapter 15. Three days after what happened, they come to a place and they, and they, they were lacking water. And they came to an oasis and then the water was bitter. What did they do? They complained. We have a slide. They said, what are we going to drink? I haven't, again, haven't you seen what God has done? Three days ago, and now you're asking, what are you going to drink? As if you're asking, maybe I will die here of thirst. They complained. How did God answer? God actually turned those waters into fresh, um, good waters to drink. And then God told something, was something that God wanted it to echo in their hearts for the rest of their journey. God said, if you only listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, if you only do what is right in His sight, obeying His commandments and keeping all His decrees, then I will not, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In other words, if you stay faithful, if you stay close to me, if you obey, you will not experience what you saw the Egyptians experience because of their hard hearts, because of their disobedience. I will keep you safe. Can you believe what I'm saying? Can you keep your journey and believe in my words? One month after chapter 16, they were lacking food. So what did they do? They complained. <laughs> they said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. I think sometimes it takes more courage to say something like this than actually to walk in faith with Jesus. How can they say something like that? How were their hearts not yet fully aligned with God's? But what did God do? He rained down food from heaven. Quail came every evening and in their morning they, woke, they would wake up and the, their camp was filled with bread. And for the rest of their days in, in, the, uh, in the desert, they experienced God providing like that. Chapter 17, lacking water again. What did they do? They complain. Later on, when they were waiting for Moses in, that, in the mountain while he was uh, receiving the, the, the law with God. And they could see that pillar of cloud and fire in the mountain. But they couldn't, they didn't know exactly what was happening. What did they do? They indulged into idol worship. 
That's why I say that Egypt was still not out of them. They were, for 400 years, they would see idols everywhere and people worshiping idols of everything. And now they made a gold calf and they worshiped as if it was that gold calf that had taken them out of Egypt and they forgot their God. Later on, at the doors of the promised land, they feared the inhabitants of that land that God has promised them. And the majority of the leaders did not want to go in. And they did not trust God who had promised their land. In the same way, in the same way, our lives has either newborn believers or Christians that have journeyed for um, some years. Here on earth, we are also and we will not be free of the dangers that surround us. We will not be free of our own temptations, of our own challenge. We will not be free of our own falls and failures. Until we step foot on heaven, our lives will be fustigated by tests of faith. When we see the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness, that journey is in itself an illustration of our own journey here on earth. Not that their failures are excuses for ours, but they are a call to the reality that we will also face challenges, whether they come from outside of us, whether there are enemies, has they faced enemies and, and battles, or whether those challenges are, uh, are, we are struggling with them inside of us. They are not excuses, but they are a call and a warning for us not to fall into the same mistakes whatever test comes our way whatever God allows to happen in our lives whatever comes the word of God assures us and the character of God is so that whatever comes in our way nothing is designed by God to make us fail but whatever comes our way is to build in us a character that mirrors more and more his perfect and holy image. So yeah, I, I reply to Marianne and I say, yes, we don't know how we'll be in a month. We don't know how we'll be in a year. But if you stay faithful in whatever challenges come your way, know that because God loves you, he will be with you through it. And may those challenges be moments that will help you to build a character that mirrors more and more his image. And so I conclude, and the worship team can come front. And I conclude with also something that the Israelites had with them, two weapons they had with them that helped them to go through those 40 years in the wilderness. There was two precious things they could hold on to. One was the daily presence of God and the other was a hope. Hope in a promise that God had given them right from the beginning that they were going to be led to a resource, rich land, uh, rich of milk and honey as the expression goes. A place that was given to them for them to rule and for them to be a blessing to others that daily presence of God Exodus chapter 13 the Lord went ahead of them 
He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. And later on when they built the tabernacle, that pillar of cloud moved inside the tabernacle and was now dwelling not in front of them but in the middle the middle of his people a daily presence a daily reminder of God's love and provision and that should be enough for them to keep moving forward so we we read of Moses song of deliverance Moses says in chapter 15 with your unfailing love you lead the people you have redeemed with your unfailing love you lead the people you have redeemed in your might you guide them to your sacred home and here we grab the second weapon they had the promise the hope of a promised land they had to reach further down verses 17 you will bring them us your people and you'll plant them on your mountain the place lord reserved for your own dwelling the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. They had this promise to hold on to. The daily presence of God and the hope of eternal life is also set for us here and now. God is, is, is with His children. God is with His children in eternity starts here and now for those who believe we will navigate we will move forward in this wilderness of life but we will know that one day we will reach heaven we'll meet our faith our savior face to face and the salvation the journey will be complete is it not worth to keep moving forward is it not worth to keep facing whatever challenges coming up so I conclude with this sentence. God was back in Exodus and God is now on a mission to confront evil and brokenness in this world. He redeems those enslaved to evil and He brings them to the promised land where He will live among them for all eternity. This is what drove us as church to open the book of Exodus and meditate on these words during this time of Passover because this is what Passover is about those that were enslaved now made redeemed those that walk through the wilderness to a promised land and that is what is set for us as well in your life you can be redeemed you can be saved Jesus has the power to open the seas. He turns seas into highways, we sang. And there's, a, there's heaven, there's eternity, there's a promised land waiting for you face to face with your Savior. Isn't, isn't the gospel of God just a wonderful message? Isn't this message worth being hated for? May we be faithful 
step, one step at a time in this journey of life. So I would like to invite you to stand. And let's take a few moments to also just prepare our hearts in the same way that Moses and the Israelites sang chapter 15, their songs of deliverance. is the first um, uh, praise song we see in the Bible. May we also sing together a song of deliverance as we put our trust and we, as we declare who God is.